0: livepodcasts.fm This podcast is a Prime Media Broadcasting production. People are reshaping the mindset of the masses. Africa State of Mind.
1: On this special episode of Africa's State of Mind, we focus on some of Africa's great sporting stars representing Africa in a positive way. We talk to a footballer, a tennis star, and a skeleton racer. We started out with Kalusha Boila, a legendary Zambian footballer. He's Zambia's eighth most capped player and third on the list of all-time top goal scorers behind Godfrey Chitalu and Alex Chola. He told us about the moment when he decided that soccer would be his life.
2: From primary school, from secondary school, so we had all these kind of fe- fests, mm. you know. At school, you know, suddenly you find yourself in the select site, yes, uh, the Copper Belt select site, the provincial select site. And then, um, I was one of the uh, the first at school also yes. to to play for the Zambia schools. Oh, nice. team. yes, you know, so uh, and, and that was massive, yes, you know. So you, you can imagine being called to the front of the Assembly with all the classes at at school and, and then saying we are pleased this morning to announce that one of our boys has been chosen to play for the Zambia schools, you know, which is a massive, massive thing. And, and so everybody give you a big, big hand. Um, and then to play with, uh, Blackpool in, in the top league when I was still at school. Wow. And also Mufira Wanderers when I was school in my, in my last year. I think, mm. yeah, you call it like my, my trick. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I was playing in the top team. That's incredible. You know, when I was 16 in and Zem- half, seven, yeah. Wow. I was already in, you know, playing in the top, top, t- yes. top league. Um, you know, Wanderers is the team like, like you have Kaiser Chiefs, like you have Orlando Pirates or like San So it's a big, big team. And, yeah. um, and I think that when I was still at school, the average age, at um, Mofila Wanderers must have been like 28, sure. 27, 28. And here you and were. I was like, <laughs> you know, coming on to 17. That's incredible. And um, um, because of that, and you play international matches, uh, and then we went to the national team and we had a very good run. Um, and I remember in 1984, Zambia won its first uh, trophy mm. as a country. In the Eastern Central African Challenge Cup yes, In in Uganda
1: And I'm um, from Uganda oh. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Uganda in Kampala
2: yeah. <laughs> um, I'll tell you yeah. stories about that And, uh, <laughs> uh, and so we beat um, We beat Malawi in, in the final wow. uh, Because what you call Kosafa And what you call Sekafa You know, the East eastern yes. region And the southern region we were one So it was called The East and Central African Challenge Cup mm. And uh, 1984 and, and we won um and then we had a good run, like mm. i say in nineteen eighty five we beat we beat cameroon mm. of course and and then you see you know we 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 then went on to uh, to play cameroon in um, in Yaounde. yes, yes. Uh, after we had beaten them four wow. one, and so everybody was they, they couldn't believe mm-hmm. that a small team. Like Zambia could beat the Because you have and even a small
1: population yeah, yeah. and everything. No, yeah. In, in,
2: in, because in in football teams, Zambia, who was Zambia? Yes, you know, exactly. At, at that time. <laughs> yes. Sure. And so we we had played against a World Cup team and, mm. and then they brought all the international players. They brought him wow. they brought. Uh, Roger Miller didn't play the first match. So mm. the people said, you know, if Roger Miller who was going to come, you guys are going to be in trouble. Mm. And I remember that we were the, at the main stadium, in the own the stadium, and uh, it's like near the airport. So, uh, so when when we went to training the first day, I think it must have been more than thirty thousand people to wow. come and see us train. Just there was no you train, there was no security, so all some of the people were like right on the field, and so you couldn't, as you were stretching, the people were looking at you to see. <laughs> Is it possible that these guys can beat our team? Yeah. You know, like this, and they were so passionate about yeah. about their team. And so when the when the plane passed over, you know, sometimes the overhead over yeah. the stadium, and and everybody, all oh, the thirty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand people started to chant, to chant, Mila, Mila, <laughs> Mila, to show that he's on the plane, he's yeah. coming, and you guys are and going to be finished. in trouble. You're finished. You're, you're finished. <laughs> Needless to say, you know, we were we had a fantastic team. We're led by, uh, yeah, um, John Stilenji. It was a captain played center half tall, imposing it was a sergeant in the army uh and um you know we had ifo Chabala of course as goalkeeper ashworth melu um you know we had with we had so, such a great team mm. Jack Chanda, yeah. the african Pele, yeah. could run with the ball and it was yeah. it was terrific yeah michael Chabala, you know myself so yeah it um the game That's started the in they had in Cornell, they had everybody yeah S- and the game started they scored one goal uh, in in the first half, but we equalized quickly. Yes, you know, so it was one one, and we drew one one against the mighty mighty, mighty Cameroon. Ca- 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 so, yeah. in this time, and I, I um, you know, traveling, um, you know, around, you you see that some of our boys, some of our, the Africans, are playing football in Europe. And so I got a chance. Yes, because so
1: you went to, so your first experience, I'm not sure, was it Belgium, Belgium or Belgium? Belgium. Belgium. So, so, what was that like? Because, okay, so I think of many things. Mm-hmm. I think, firstly, I know, like, as Africans, like, we think about the food. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> you're leaving and it's the food factor, right? Let's not, yeah. you know.
2: No, it, it was cold. It's, it's the, the weather. Of, yeah. First the we language were, first i went in 85 itself i went to for a trial yeah in um around october yeah yeah so then then i went for for a trial around around october yeah and it was going to be one week and um i arrived there uh, all lights uh, you know so many lights i thought hey, so <laughs> many lights here
1: <laughs> with uh, the park and cousin. it was
2: it was uh it was cold so yeah. we went to the training Seco bruce and we went to training. I trained, but the pitches were very bad. Very bad in terms of because of it was uh, uh, it was raining oh, and windy. Oh, wow! And so I I couldn't you know just uh, get my feet going you know because we are used to playing on a hard dry pitch. Yes. So you use the plastic boots, as people would say, mm. and um, and they, everybody was wearing the six the six studs, the hard studs, you know that would like, really, really grip, in. grip in, Yes. Yeah. So uh, we trained like for two, three days. They said, "Oh, we have a match. We're going to play in uh, in in Liège." Yeah. Remember? So we come to to the stadium in Bruges, and then afterwards we got on a bus. Yes. Yeah. And I said, "Well, how long is the the trip?" They said, "No, it's about two two hours. It's the furthest you will, you will travel, you know. To I think it's the north." So we started to go from Bruges and um along the way we stopped to, to, at a petrol uh, station yes and they gave us some packages so they had a banana an apple yeah. and a sandwich yes so i said okay i'm not so keen on on sandwich and cheese just sandwich <laughs> i'm not so keen on ham. so yes. i had like one piece yes you know then i had a banana and an apple and i said okay let's yeah. go on some yogurt so we then go to the stadium and they said, Oh, the match, you know, is, is going to start at two o'clock. Yeah. So it's just a practice match. So we have to play. So I said, Oh, but where's the, the, I need some shima or some, <laughs> some meat or <laughs> something, you know, I some chicken. Food, yeah, yeah. You know, they said, Ah, oh, but you got the package. Oh, Didn't you no. eat something? So, so, you know, I, I thought, you know, it's like I was running on half empty. Yeah. And then the, the match started in the, in the first half. You know, you can imagine I've come for trials. And, and then, you know, I, I then suddenly, you know, the, because of the pitch, was in the ma- main stadium, the mm. stadium, Standard League. And uh, it was so muddy, you know, so... So that I I couldn't get going, so I was mm. falling all, all over the place. Yeah. So at half time I I changed boots. They gave me new boots, you know, if are new.
1: Yeah, Dance. you so had you to you wear them in while wear, you were yes, playing. Absolutely.
2: So yes. I think I didn't touch the ball in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> so I said to myself, Oh no. Where did I get into now? So I, as I sat in the bus with my long trip, I was thinking, this that I think I don't think that I can play football. Yeah. This is this is wrong. And all the people were shaking their heads, they said, Hey, where did they get this this player from? You know, <laughs> couldn't touch the ball in the first time it was falling all over the place. Sure. So we come back, um, we trained one two days uh because i think that was must have been like Thursday, friday then our main the main team played on saturday so i went to see the match mm. and I completely was mesmerized to see the standard mm. uh, that was being played six thousand people you know clubs seco bruce is a small team in a way it's a mid middle team and there was like six thousand but they made so much noise and oh and the pace of the the speed you know coming from africa was so mesmerized so i said okay so on the mat on the sunday we, you know, I went to, reported to training. George Lickens was the coach, mm. so I went to training, trained a bit. Then Monday, Tuesday, I think that is Wednesday. They said they're going to organize a match, you know, in order to see if I can play or not. So mm-hmm. this is like my the, this the is the tr- this tr- is tr- it. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. Now, and so uh, I came there. We played. So they made a the team. We started the match started about half past six, and you know, we always trained in the evening. So, so everything prepared. We we got warmed up. I was playing on the other side and the main team was playing. Okay. And I'm on this side. And um, I don't think that I've ever played football that well in my life. Wow. I was, it was just incredible. Just like there was a yeah. click. Yeah. You know, and I scored the goal mm. in the first half for the second team. Okay. I scored the goal. So we were leading 1-0 wow. at halftime. Yeah. At halftime, the coach just like and says, no, no, um, let's change. Kalu. Come this side now. Yeah. Come to the first team, and then you know, and then you know, we, we changed. He made like two substitutions, and I was one of those. Mm. You know, just switched. And so we uh, we went. Uh, I played the second half, and uh, there was a penalty. Mm. Uh, in, in our favor so the court says you you should so the you had kick. to take the penalty yeah I had to take the penalty oh my gosh so then i shoot the penalty mm-hmm. goes this side on the right the goalkeeper is going on the left on on the on the left so it was one one mm-hmm. and um again the so top, you top form, both most goals, both yeah, both for, goals in for the first half for the second half. that's incredible immediately
1: yeah
2: after the game like i say i, I i've never played a game like that in all my life yeah Immediately after that, because the game started at 6.30, 7.30, immediately after that, when we were in the shower, in the changing room, the people, they said, we're going to call the president, Mr. Duchenne. He has to come because you have to sign the contract. Wow. You know, so I changed, awesome. went upstairs. I was waiting. Mr. Duchenne old man Duchesne, um I came and... Um, you know, he said, no, no, uh, the club is very impressed with you mm. and want to offer you a contract. So he said, no, we'll give you f- four years. Mm. Contract. He said, no, no problem. So um, I said, let me sign. I I, I, I signed. Mm. I said, okay, can I just call my, my mom and my dad mm. in Mufrila to yes. tell them? Because, you know, we had the telephone And of phone. course, it
1: wasn't, there wasn't a cell phone. It was, you had to, telephone.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, so Duchenne spoke in, in, in Flemish and yes. said, do they have telephones in africa, in africa. <laughs> <laughs> you know so i said yes we have a phone so i picked up the phone and, and then called my dad and my mom to say uh, it has happened uh been successful yeah. in in my child. how did they respond yeah no they were so happy My dad was so happy and i think that it most it, it, the surprise was that in africa there were self there was telephones lines was you the know biggest. because <laughs> the people thought that we lived in trees and all that you know talking sure. 85 yeah okay so that's how i've I was able to, you know, turn, turn professional and, and, um, and uh, And playing in Seco Bruges where played four and a half years and then went to to PSV, I sure. know
1: that's incredible i you know when you were saying about the penalty I just um was wondering because I'm obviously not a footballer mm. at all um you know and I think it's like when when people play football and when you when it's up to the person to take the penalty, I always wonder for the goalkeeper and for the person who's got to take the penalty, it must be the the- like the single most pressurized
2: situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah, I think and it looks easy. Yeah. Yeah, it looks easy um, when you're watching it. But when you are there, there's so much pressure because yes. a lot of things go in, go in your head. Yes. You know, should I hit it hard, uh, low, place it? on um, the right corner, yes. on, on below or up. You know, so uh, football penalties have evolved also. You know, yeah. I remember I used to be the official penalty taker for Zambia and for my teams, even in PSV, even in, in Mexico in the later years. But yeah. over the years, like in, in Mexico, because the goalkeepers were going to anticipate, and in Europe they anticipate where you're going to, because they study you.
0: you oh, know? We wow. had the
2: goalkeeper Hans van Brooklyn. He was yes. champion with uh, for PSV. He was yes. champion with, uh, uh, with Holland in 1988. Yes. A European Cup and um, he used to have a little book yeah. and he used to write and watch TV and watch the, high, the highlights, highlights and then he would say okay this guy he shoots to the right yeah. then he shoots to, you know because in those days you had to do it everything yourself mm. you know today people send scouts and today if um, Abramovich for example um Zlatan uh, is playing for LA Galaxy, scores one goal. The moment that he's scoring that goal, you'll see it on, on your Twitter. On, yes, on, so you'll you be able to sell it, see it it's a lot. So you wow. know. So, and in those days, I mean, you had to, you know, you the team, so he used to write and people used to ask him, Oh, you're very good in penalties. How do you do that? Like, no, he used to do like, No, I know exactly <laughs> where you're yeah. good. But he never said, he said well, at the end of the, his career, he was going to say it. Yeah. So, the, you as a regular penalty taker, the the people are going to say okay when this guy comes he always shoots he fakes like he's going to shoot on the left yeah. and then puts it on the right yeah so there's, so a, lot it, of there's a lot of pressure there's a lot yes. of studying sure. you know today but uh, yes it's nerve-wracking if, if yeah.
1: i let me put it this way if i was a soccer player i would <laughs> never take a, <laughs> a penalty <laughs> and i would never want to be the goalkeeper we have, we because i coaches. feel as though
2: i feel like those mm. are the worst yeah of you know, coaches yeah and, and players yeah that don't look when their fellow uh, teammate is taking a penalty. Oh, it they like hide. They yeah. yeah, they look the other way. They just want to hear when the, the, the role is yes or oh, no, then, yeah. you know, they look. Then so, they look, yeah. you see in modern football today, you, yeah. you 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 see that.
1: We also spoke to the inspirational Khotato Monchane, the first black South African woman to compete at Wimbledon. She spoke about the challenges of learning and playing tennis in a wheelchair. We'll pick up the conversation where she told us about her upbringing in a village in Limpopo province.
3: Oh, I grew up in some rural area called Kampalele with mm-hmm. with my grandmother and a lot of my mom's sisters and brothers so that's where I grew up and uh, obviously I've Managed to go to a boarding school in another rural area for people with disabilities. So obviously being born with disability, you don't tend to realize that. So one thing I've experienced a lot when I come back from school, a lot of people will be staring at me. But I never understood why. Because as a kid, you don't see anything wrong with you. And only to find out the way, obviously I was differently abled. Because, yeah, by then I wasn't even amputated. I wasn't even using prosthetic leg. I was sleeping, limping quite a lot. Mm. So stuff like that. I couldn't get, but obviously as a kid, you don't pay too much attention and, uh, until you grow up and people you know start feeling sorry for you, yeah. offering help, and you don't understand why you're offering mm. help. And you never felt sorry for yourself. You were always
1: just like, what, what no, is really Not different? at all, yeah.
3: not at all, because I think being at a special school, you tend to realize you're not the only one who's differently abled, and they teach you to do a lot of stuff by yourself. And mm. once you realize that you can do a lot of stuff by yourself, I mean, you become independent. Mm. So, yeah, you don't you don't depend on anyone. So I, I think stuff like that really, you know, boosted my confidence. Because coming out of that set setting, I was I was, I was actually good. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was living a normal life out there. Even at university, I never somehow felt like I didn't belong. You know, because at university, there's not a lot of people with disabilities. So I, I was just myself, and I just felt like
1: that's where I belong. Sure, I love that. I love that. Now for you, um, you mentioned about how uh, you were in school, we discussed, and then you thought, oh, I'm going to play tennis for like one year. <laughs> and then now it's like, literally, you're like the champ, you know, like <laughs> Africa's shining light when it comes to tennis. Um, so at what point did you then decide that, okay, I'm going to go into tennis full time. This is how I want to proceed. And what did your, your family think? <laughs> because tennis, yeah. let's be honest, right? Tennis, black people, Africa, women. yeah no. Everything is like working, is like opposite. Yeah. <laughs> True,
3: true. You know what? I I, I think I didn't even decide that I was going to take up tennis full time. Mm. It also took a lot of convincing, you know, when I was still at my final year at university, they had to convince me that since it's your final year, when you finish, move to Gautengi and... You know, you can, you know, explore this sport and see how it goes. And so it it took a lot of convincing for me because even when I agreed to that, it wasn't something that I've done willingly that this is what I want to do. So I, I I just went and went to Pretoria the following year in 2010. At the HPC and I was getting a lot of, you know, coaching and yeah, I remember that other coach, you know, she he used to just like, you know, you can become number whatever in the world and you can make a living out of that. You know, I wasn't really, really, really convinced but uh obviously 2011 when I started playing on tour I, w- I was I was actually doing well you know yeah. I, w- I was doing well and I was starting to enjoy the sport but the problem is I didn't know what the sport entails still because mm-hmm. in a setting where I was I was being taken care of you know everything was covered for me so I didn't have to deal with a lot of stuff that involves the sport so yeah obviously a couple of years down the line <laughs> That's when I realized, actually, I've invested all my youth years in this. Mm. So I might as well put more focus and just make it work. Mm. You know, I think that's when I really open up to myself and willingly make sure that I do this simply because I want to do it. Mm. And when I do that, (laughs) that's when, you know, a lot of challenges started coming up and and. I was so fortunate because I, I, I suppose tennis is the only thing that keeps me sane, you know. Despite sure. all those challenges, whenever I step into the tennis court, it's like I wasn't dealing with anything of court because mm. my mind was just like at the right place when I got on court. But uh yeah, when I realized that, yeah, uh, I guess all my parents ever wanted for me was to see me happy. So they yeah. always supported me, even though they, they also didn't know what this was, you know. I had to educate them as times goes by like you're mm. saying we, in Africa we, we would care about playing tennis yeah. as, as a career honestly it's a very expensive, yeah. ex- expensive it's very sport. expensive yeah and yeah,
1: most definitely you know um, I cuz okay I I go for tennis lessons but I'm nowhere close <laughs> to professional but in my head we all have dreams <laughs> so um, my tennis coach used to play professionally in zimbabwe he's from zimbabwe and he was telling a story about how i can't remember who the tennis player was once was in zimbabwe like one of the internationally ranked tennis players um to do ca- to do training camps and everything and so while we were talking he said no you know there was a point in zimbabwe where the the then the former president and so forth it was so important that they they took tennis to like all of the rural areas to Everybody was playing tennis. So it wasn't something that was seen as something for the elite. They decided that as well as, you know, as much as having people have a great education, they also wanted them to also, you know, emotionally and physically develop in a different way with regards to tennis. So he said that's why there's a lot of tennis players or coaches from Zimbabwe because there was quite a drive to it. That's obviously very different to what we have in South Africa. It's different to what's in Uganda, in Nigeria, in a lot of different countries. For tennis, you know, as a sport in yeah, general yeah, yeah. If you had to like advocate for why tennis is important Across the divisions, across the different leagues and so forth What would you say to to African leaders in general Even African parents Because it always seems like Just like some posh thing that's on the other side
3: Yeah, you know, I think as Africa We, we come a long way, you know Hence, sports like tennis Maybe it hasn't reached a lot of, you know mm-hmm. Rural areas and all that Simply because mm-hmm. where it belonged It was you know, belong to East people because they can afford to do that. Hence, it wasn't down there. I I guess people who didn't introduce it down there, they didn't see a need to do that simply because they know what what comes with the package of playing the sport. But I still think we we do have a lot of talent in the rural areas. Mm. And in different countries, I would like to believe that if this sport can be put out there, and it can become popular and it can get support because the only problem at the moment in Africa, I would like to think, tennis is not being supported accordingly. Mm. And that's that, that's, a, that's a major problem at the moment. And sometimes it, I, I'm even scared to encourage other kids to be like, you know, you can play the sport, you can make it. But simply because I know the challenges that mm. comes with the sport, to be honest. Mm. So I, I think if in Africa they popularize the sport, but they support the sport at the same mm. time, that that can that that can be a good thing mm. and people will be
1: interested in in playing the sport yeah and when you say about um just the costs and the challenges around being a tennis player it's quite a lot cuz from my, what i understand i think you guys travel with you're meant to travel with entire teams when you go to different tournaments but you've had to kind of adjust the way that you do that if you can explain that
3: yeah yeah obviously obviously that's that's always my wish to be able to have the entire team with me but it's it's not possible so know? what's the entire team <laughs> obviously the entire team I mean, my coach, my physical trainer, you know, my hitting partner. So, I mean, I, I think those three people are the most. Obviously, even my agent or manager has to be there because, mm. obviously, as a as a, as a, as an elite player, they need to be able to you know interact with other people and sell me as a brand, and obviously, mm. make sure that they bring more funding so that i keep playing but uh obviously with with the current state it's not possible i had to make sacrifices i can only take a coach sometimes i can only just take a hit to partner you know so i I can't i can't afford to just take the entire team because otherwise i will Mm. run out of you know the old funds to be able to play for the rest of the year Mm. so uh, i have to compromise just like that Mm. and Make make it work. The mm. thing about me is, I'm pretty much aware of my situation, so I try mm. not to stress too much about it because mm. I know the situation. So, uh, the only thing I can only do is to make the best of the that
1: situation. Mm. Sure, that's so true. And now, just with raising sponsorship, because I know that that's another across sporting codes in general. That's another uh, thing in general. I can imagine it's a lot more intense. You know, it's good and it's also a bit challenging when you're like a solo player, right? So, raising funds and everything—how have you been able to ensure that you kind of get financial support? Because I don't think people realize that—I don't imagine that people pay for you to be there and everything. You have to pay your way into the tournaments.
3: Yeah, I mean, uh, issues of sponsorship, but it's, uh, it's a challenge. I, I think for me, I, I would just say I was fortunate when I, when the World Wimbledon story broke out last year. Mm. And obviously with a lot of people being frustrated that how can a player be out there on their own, you mm. know, how does that work? Because a lot of people in the country, they were they were questioning the government on that. And I, as I was trying to, you know, <laughs> tell the people what my story really is, that I don't have sponsors, hence what happened, happened. And I was so fortunate that I had, I had Optimized coming on board saying mm. they can, you know, help draft my sponsorship proposal make it marketable and and they just end up being like we we just gonna sign you and 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 help you and that's how i managed to get sponsors Mm -hmm. you know through through uh, optimized agency so which to me it really highlighted the importance of Mm -hmm. athletes who actually compete at the higher level to be able to have agencies because when you compete at that level you 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 you're not able to concentrate on Finding money and trying to play and trying to improve at the same time, it's quite a lot of work. Mm. So I just realized having an agent is really, really important because they are the one who can sell you better and they are the one who can make sure that you're within your your, Mm. your state of
1: mind and you are able to, to compete. Yeah, sure. It just makes me realize that you know, as much as we have, because I believe that we have some of the greatest athletes within the continent across sporting codes. But the sad thing is that even when you realize um how many people are like African, not just like. Fifth, sixth, or whatever generation, but direct African who've had to go overseas in order to be able and then get a citizenship of another country yes. in order to be able to get that kind yes, of support. Yes, 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 That's one of the most, it's, and you know, it, it just feels like as though we're losing a lot of talent in that way.
3: Of course, we are. We are. I mean, in, uh, me too, even if, <laughs> even if I was prayed to do that, I, I think, uh, I would move, I would move somewhere where mm. I know. And nobody
1: can blame you. No, no, yeah. no
3: one can really blame you for that because mm. you know what? I look at other players who really, really ranks high in wheelchair tennis, but they've got massive sponsors. And you're wondering, as a, as a top eight player, how am I failing to to be able to do all that? But uh, you tend to realize it's just the, the the popularity of this sport in their countries. It's big, and people make it a, a big deal out of that sport. You know, every country wanna be represented in in this in this sport. Because I mean who doesn't want to see their own country being represented in, in big tournaments like Grand Slams? Mm. So people really, really put money into all those things. Just to see people, you know, just pitch up at Grand Slams, you know. Some it's not mm. even about go out there in mm. too well, but they feel happier to see their country being represented. Hence, they're backing them up, but i don't know in africa how long mm-hmm. that's going to take but uh yeah hopefully it's a, it's a work in process and uh, hopefully having a player like me at the moment who is able to compete at that higher level you know i can be able to raise the awareness of the sport in the continent and Make sure
1: that maybe the the young coming generation can be supported. Definitely now, um. So I also want to get an understanding with regards to wheelchair uh, tennis and then um, able body tennis. Like, what are the difference in terms of the divisions and, you know, like oh, how many divisions are they? Are they two? Are they three? Like, how does it work? Uh, in wheelchair and how tennis, are the rules a little bit different?
3: Uh. Starting with the rules there's mm. the the only difference is the two bounds rule in volleyball.
1: Uh, I need the two bounds. Yeah yeah yeah.
3: <laughs> the first bounce needs to land in the actual area of the court yeah. and the second bounce can land anywhere. Mm. So that's that's the only Difference in between wheelchair tennis and everybody tennis mm. that two bounce rule, which is coming to an end as technology <laughs> oh. improves, chairs are getting faster, people are playing one bounce. So, I don't know, maybe in the future, wheelchair tennis is going to be on one bounce, but uh, yeah, that, that's the only different rule between mm. everybody the two bounce rule. Mm. And we have three divisions in wheelchair tennis mm-hmm. the open men, open women, and the quad division. Mm. Which is made up quadriplegics, people with no uh, core muscles mm-hmm. and who uh, lost functions in their in their fingers and stuff like that. They can't really creep so well. Mm. So they they do have their own category because it's, yeah it's quite difficult to yeah. compete in an in an open uh, division for men and women because it's very very very
1: competitive. But yeah, it's only three divisions. It's only three divisions. So I want to know from you another thing that I'd like to know is that. I think we alluded to it at the beginning of the conversation, right? So, people might be like, okay, you have all of these things working against you, but from encountering you and from talking to you, from seeing you in interviews, from seeing you play and so forth, you're somebody who carries like such a high level of energy and confidence and excitement and passion, you know, for that. Like what advice would you give? Because, um, we have a situation where uh, so many people are like, people are either feeling really positive about life or they're not feeling positive about life. So what is it that keeps you going?
3: Uh, I think, i I think I just have a different perspective to life in yeah. general, you know when i when I, I mean normally my friends would say it's because you don't really care about a lot of stuff, but I'm like <laughs> i I do care, but mm. I've realized that the universe doesn't really care, you know if mm. you're gonna feel sorry for yourself, don't think the universe is feeling the same way, it mm. just doesn't care how you feel, mm. so what you bring unto you, that's what you're going to have to deal with. So I always make sure that I, I, I try to live a positive life. It's not that I'm positive every time. There are days whereby I, I, I don't feel, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, having that mentality that if you're going to let a situation bottle you up, remember, the universe going to keep rotating. So it's yeah, really up to you. Yeah. It's really up to you if you're going to try, come out of that bottle and be more positive Mm. and approach a lot of situation with a great positive mind so it's just it's just who i am you know Mm. i I don't let my situations defines me but i let my situations gives me hope
1: because i think hope is the only thing that actually keeps me going Mm. incredible hotato manchane incredible Hotato Monchane will publish the full interview with her in the coming week. Be on the lookout. She has a great story to tell. We also caught up with Simi Adeyagbo, a Nigerian skeleton racer who competed at the 2018 Winter Olympics. She is Nigeria and Africa's first female skeleton athlete, as well as the first black female athlete in the sport of skeleton. She took us through some of her disappointments in the Olympics.
0: So Disappointment, I think, is an accurate way to characterize my two failed attempts at the Olympics. Mm. Um, At that time, I was trying to compete for the U.S. team. And Mm. um, anyone that knows track and field knows that the U.S. has a very strong team. It's very difficult to make the Olympic team. In fact, I've heard a statistic that you have a better shot at getting struck by lightning than making the U.S. track and field team. So it's really, really difficult. But I came Mm. very, very close. Mm. And of course, it was heartbreaking when I didn't make it, particularly in 2008, because Mm. 2008 was when I felt the most ready. Mm. I had relocated, trained with a coach that was an Olympic gold medalist. And I thought this was my time. Mm. And when I didn't make it, I was just completely destroyed, you know, Mm. Um, but I had to pick myself back up and one thing that I felt good about was that I gave it my all, and yeah. I think that's anything in life when you give something your all, even though you're disappointed, I think when you pick yourself up, you can hold your head high and know mm. that you you couldn't have done anything more. So when I made the decision to move on, you know, I moved on to other aspects of my life, my mm. career. Within this ten years, is when I relocated to South Africa, and so life was just you know moving along, moving along. Yeah. Um, but I think the lesson here for people is after disappointments, sometimes that same dream can come around again, but completely reimagined. Yeah, And that's essentially what happened to me. So um, as you said, I always wanted to be an Olympian. I had no idea Winter Olympics would be part of that story. Um, That was not what I originally imagined. Um, But when the opportunity came around, I was open to it. Mm. I felt that, wow, not only could this be a way for me to achieve that dream that I always had, but the the biggest thing was how this could really be a significant thing for the continent mm-hmm. of Africa in terms yeah. of representation and so 10 years had passed, but that fire um, from being an athlete was still burning within me. Um, and I didn't even actually realize how much I missed, you know, being a competitive athlete until I started kind of that journey to the Winter Olympics. Yeah. And so it was just natural and I was able to just pick it up from where I left off from track. That's and incredible. The lessons that I, you know, mm. I had over that time of competing at a high level on track, I just, you know, transferred over to skeleton and... I don't want to say it was seamless because that makes it sound easy. But I think what was seamless was that innate desire and that hunger to be great. And mm-hmm. so I just took that and started the process and was able to make my goal.
1: I think what's also interesting about you going into skeleton and you're going to explain that to everything, because I know a lot of Africans are like, eh, what, "What is skeleton again? <laughs> it's like, what exactly is that? Yeah. But it's like, um <clears throat> I also, you know, I understand that. So initially when you decided you wanted to go back into the sporting arena, then you Mm -hmm. thought about the Winter Olympics, you actually hit up the Nigerian bobsled team, the ladies who are part of the bobsled team, right? And of course, like we all remember cool runnings as, (laughs) you know, so it's like that was what the initial plan was. But then there was another detour. Yes that was concerned.
0: Definitely. So how did this conversation happen? Well, so <laughs> I was at work one day yeah. and one of my colleagues came to me and said, oh, have you seen this video? And it was this video, it actually went viral. So quite a few people have seen it of the Nigerian bobsled team kind of dancing. They were in green and white uniforms. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, apparently Nigeria has a bobsled team. And I said, what? I, I, cool I had no idea yeah. at the time. And so that was my first time hearing about mm. it. And something just clicked in my mind to say, you know what, I should look into that. Mm. because I had heard of track and field athletes moving into bobsled. So that didn't seem crazy to me because there is kind of a precedent for that. Um, and I know people who've done it. So I decided to reach out and just say, hey, do you have a spot on the team? Are you, you know, looking for Wait, members? how did you reach
1: out? Please, you have to tell the story you know, properly.
0: <laughs> the gram is so good, you know. I slid into the DM. <laughs> I slid all the way in there as far as I could because, you know, that's the way you get older people these days days. And so I slid into the DMs and started just asking questions. And I knew nothing about bobsled. I just knew there were three of them. And in my mind... From the movie. From cool cool Runnings. Runnings, yeah. There's four people. It's like, There's four people. Why? So yeah. I must be the fourth <laughs> yeah. one. You know. I it's thought like, they've been waiting for me. <laughs> they've been waiting. Um, and then they quickly <laughs> corrected me and told me, unfortunately, in the sport for women, it's still only two. Yeah. There is a fight going to see if it can be expanded, mm-hmm. but currently, women's bobsled only has two people in the yeah. sled. So they told me, in fact, we are good and we ha- actually have an alternate. <laughs> so we're all the way good. But thank you for sliding like, into thanks, our no um But I kind of loosely <laughs> kept in touch with the ladies. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was a fan. I contributed to the GoFundMe. Oh, nice. I wanted to see them succeed. <clears throat> mm. Fast forward about six, seven months, and on the gram again, I saw a post saying that they were going to have a tryout in Houston, Texas uh, for the bobsled team. And I thought, was it for the Nigerian bobsled? For the Nigerian bobsled team, Nigerian yes. Bobsled team. yes. <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe this is my chance. You know, I I thought maybe a spot is up for grabs. Maybe I just need to go there and prove myself. Mind you, I'm still happily in retirement. Mm. I I'm just a, a regular <laughs> gym goer, you know, mm. <laughs> but not anything on a high level. But when I saw that post two weeks before. Um, it actually was happening. I decided, OK, I'm going to go and I have to figure out a way to get myself in enough shape to show up and wow. do something reasonable at this tryout in two weeks time. Mm-hmm. So I bought my ticket from Joburg to Houston and then I showed up at the tryouts for the weekend um, and then flew back to, to Joburg. Um But the, the trials went well, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I was invited back to a team camp that was about uh three or four weeks later. Mm-hmm. And it was there that I actually discovered skeleton. So I think this is another kind of lesson in my story where I was open to kind of, again, mm-hmm. reimagining what that could look like. At first, I thought bobsled would be the answer to, you know my Olympic dream, Um, but the more kind of I spent time and we were at the camp, um, the girls already had their team in place. There were three of them, they had been training since the year before, and it's really hard to kind of make a quick change like that. So it it just wasn't the right timing for me to integrate into the team. But while I was at the camp, somebody told me about skeleton. Hmm. And like most people, I was like, what? What When when I hear skeleton, skeleton, I think of other things. (laughs) They need to rebrand skeleton (laughs) because it's not a good look. The name, nothing. Nothing about it sounds (laughs) amazing. So when I discovered skeleton, I, like most people, was like, okay, what do you do? You... Lie on your tummy and you go head first, you know, and you're, you're not covered by anything. It looks very scary. Mm. And you're going at speeds of 120 kilometers Crazy. an hour. Um, and it, it looks very scary. So, um, after I got over the initial shock, what kind of <laughs> Of like how going head first Into a tunnel bas- Well into Basically Just basically. imagine A frozen water slide That's what I tell people So a water slide You know Has many twists and turns mm. But this water slide's uh, about a kilometer long That's crazy um, And you're going much faster And so after I kind of like got over the initial shock of how scary the sport looked, what I found out was that actually no African woman had ever gone to the Olympics in this sport. And so in terms of making history, I still had an opportunity to do that. Mm. Um, So we had bobsled covered by my teammates. Check. Now, how was I going to come to the party in skeleton? And that was the opportunity that I saw. And that's where I felt like I could use my gifts and talents to You know take sport further on the continent
1: But now there's another part of the story as well I believe that the initial flyer Or something posted was on Instagram You had to be between a certain age And the kind of age was 35 Mm -hmm. And you were 36
0: when you qualified well, what, what once you I saw that post, yeah. I had just turned 36 like two weeks before yeah. that. <laughs> so I you're like, like oh, oh, my gosh. So but um, I was quite surprised by that, actually, yeah. because I was not aware of anything in sport that capped your age. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are some sports like I think gymnastics where you have to have a minimum age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never seen anything in sport where they cap your age. So I did some research and I was like, oh, this doesn't seem reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just. Thought, okay, well, they have their age thing, I'm going to show up anyway, and I'm going to let them tell me no I when I get to did. Houston, um, because I'm two weeks too old. <laughs> um, but fortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. And I just took that chance. Mm. And, you know, I felt, you know, age, especially in sport is irrelevant. Mm. Age, color, gender, sport measures performance. You're either fast or you're not, Mm. you know, it shows you your time. It doesn't say, oh, but you're 36 years old, you know, so... Mm. I just thought it was irrelevant, and I showed up anyways.
1: Yeah, sure. (laughs) And I like the way that you say that because I feel that that's even just a global, like a broader story within Africa where we, if you're a woman and age and everything, there's all of these, like, ideas of how your life should be imagined. So I just love everything about just Mm -hmm. your career, like how we've shared so far. It just, like, reimagines everything, like all the possibilities totally, you know. Yeah. So now let's just talk a little bit about, um, because you know, just to understand, so you, that th- you went to Houston to, um, to try out for this particular team and mm-hmm. it was for the Nigerian team. Yes. And this brings me to a point that I feel is so important when it comes to the sporting world in general. And that's resources within Africa, mm-hmm. right? So how does it end up? And you mentioned about how the Bob Slade team, you know, you helped they got GoFundMe and so forth. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that enough is being invested in general? I mean, you know, or from your perspective with regards to, um, African countries when it comes to investing In sporting disciplines Because both of the, you know, it's like in both cases, it's, this is happening outside of Nigeria. Yeah. And these are phenomenal Nigerian athletes. I mean, you can look at Anthony Joshua, for example. There's so many examples. Mm. So do you feel that
0: enough is being put into the talent that we have in the continent? Yeah, um, Unfortunately not. Mm. I think that there's still a lot of investment that needs to go into sports. Um, the sports industry in general, I feel like, is very underdeveloped on the continent. Mm. I think we have our bright you know, spots here and there where you see teams that are Doing well, but Mm -hmm. what we're lacking is infrastructure, what we're lacking is transparency. And overall, just top-to-bottom development mm. from the grassroots level all the way up to the Olympic elite level. Mm. Um, why we were in Houston in particular is because the founder of our federation, so she's the driver as well of the bobsled, uh, Sheon Adigun. She is based in Houston, so it was oh, just okay. easier at the time to, do to just do it from there. Mm. Um, but we are looking uh, this year to have tryouts as mm. well in Nigeria because we don't want this to become something yeah. that's only of the diaspora. Only if you can go to Yankee. Yeah, you know, so we want, you know, athletes who are based in, you know, Nigeria to be able to participate as well. But at the time, uh, that was the best that we could do. Uh, One thing that I think is unique about kind of the story of the bobsled and skeleton Federation of Nigeria is that a lot of it was done kind of, um, it was self driven, it was Mm. built by athletes for athletes. So Mm. Uh, the athletes that were involved, our founders, myself, and the initial four ladies, we were very proactive in having to build it ourselves, going after sponsors, promoting ourselves, you know, creating that energy, telling our story on the global stage. Mm-hmm. Um, that was all self-driven. We didn't wait for the government or anybody else to do it for us. So I think that is a good kind of best practice. Um, unfortunately, you're not always going to be able to depend on, you know, the government or anyone mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be more. Athletes More people who are willing To build it themselves mm. Great stories from Great amazing people
1: Always celebrating African excellence Thank you so much For joining us in this special episode Of Africa State of Mind Be on the lookout For more exclusive interviews Remember to follow us On Twitter At Africa State Mind And join the Facebook family On Africa State of Mind Rate us So it's easier For other people To find us On live podcasts Apple podcasts Or wherever it is That you listen to your podcast. Africa State of Mind
0: Head to lifepodcasts.fm
1: to find out more on the positive changes people are making on the continent in Africa. state of
0: mind. Subscribe to this podcast
2: at lifepodcasts.fm or on your favorite
0: podcast app. Subscribing to a live podcast is free.